He was becoming a celebrity in the area, and there were already two different kinds of Judaism that were popular in the Middle East at this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The big thing that separated them was that the Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection. They thought when you died, you died. And so they taught two different kinds of Judaism, and when a rabbi like Jesus, a teacher, became so famous, so well-known, and his teaching was so radically different from everybody else, they were concerned that he was going to start his own sect of Judaism and they would lose followers, which is not what they wanted. They liked the control that they got to exercise. And so when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was immediately in danger, but he did not come in quietly. Let's read the story in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 6. Jesus had given him some instructions. Uh, Really, it was about fulfilling prophecy about how he would enter the city. It says this, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks out on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I want you to picture the scene. One of the largest cities in the region is a buzz, roaring As this man enters on the back of a donkey, they're so excited to receive him. They prepare a carpet for him to walk on of their own clothing and palm branches. Why we call it Palm Sunday because they were waving these palm fronds around and laying them on the ground for Jesus to be able to enter the city on. It was this big triumphant entry. They were all shouting Hosanna, which is a Hebrew expression of adoration and praise and joy to say Hosanna is similar to hallelujah. It's a way of expressing your praise. What a day. But I want to shine a light on what was really happening that day in the city of David and what's happening in our hearts more often than not. Because on Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem while they shouted praise, while they shouted Hosanna in the highest. They spread out their coats and their palm branches. They made him a path to march on. They celebrated his entry. But on Thursday night, Jesus was arrested and tried before the very same people on Friday morning who all shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The same place, the same week, the same people. So what does that tell us? about the praise that they shouted on Palm Sunday. The people were praising, but their praise was empty. They were worshiping him as a prophet. Even when they said, who is this man? He's the prophet from Nazareth, the man of God, a mouthpiece of God, surely an important person, but none of them declared him as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy Son sent for them. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't understand what he was doing there, and the praise that they brought him was only half praise. They were praising his celebrity. 
As a people, we've always loved to praise celebrities. In the old days, when a king would pass through town, every single person in that town would turn out just to catch a glimpse of them as they went by. The, uh, the writers and the uh, philosophers of old who would gather a following would fill up amphitheaters in towns that they would travel to so that people could see them as they walked by. Today, our celebrities amass millions of followers on social media so that we can try to figure out what it is they eat for lunch as though it's the most fascinating thing we've ever tuned into. We've always been fascinated with celebrity, but the problem with praising somebody for their celebrity is that that praise can turn into crucify him in a heartbeat. We see it over and over again, especially in the last couple of years. Some of our favorite celebrities become villains right before our very eyes. Just ask Will Smith if he's going to be doing Men in Black 4 anytime soon. That's two Will Smiths in one message. Poor guy. I'd like to apologize to Will Smith. People have always been the same. And they turn on a dime when their praise is based in the wrong place. When it's not the right kind of praise, our hearts shift. That is why it is so important that when you praise God, it comes from the right place. Because if our praise of God isn't anchored in the right place, isn't settled in the right place, then we turn on him so quickly when the things in our life change. When we are blessed, when we are doing well financially, when everyone around us is healthy and happy, we praise God and shout Hosanna in the streets. But when the money goes away, when the blessings stop, when we lose our health, when the people around us hurt, we say, where are you, God? And why don't you care about me? Our hearts shift and change. And If that's how we see God, the praise that we give him when we do give him praise is empty praise. Just like those people shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday who put him on a cross on Friday. A couple reasons that we give empty praise. Number one, we go with the crowd. We are wired to be social creatures. It's normal. God created you with a need for others. And that need is meant to help you and meant to give you access to a richer life, to to fill you up, to give you people to go through life alongside. We believe that community is one of your most basic needs. It's why it's such an important function of the church. We want you to live in the kind of community God created you to live in. But that same need inside of us for others can go sideways. Remember the garden? Eve ate the fruit. And Adam was with her the whole time, by the way. You know, Eve gets a bad rap, but Adam was standing right there, the Bible says. And as soon as she had eaten the fruit, it made sense for him to eat the fruit. Because literally everyone in the whole world was doing it. Why wouldn't he do it? You want to be the last guy on the planet who hasn't tried the fruit. We've been following that same trend ever since. We've been doing what the crowd says to do. And for a long time here in this country, it was the cool thing to do to go to church, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian person. It was mainstream. It's what the crowd did. 
just to follow Jesus, to go to church on Sunday, to talk about it, to get excited about Easter. That was mainstream for many, many, many years. Those days are gone, and they may not be coming back. And so now the cool thing to do is to nail the church to the wall, to deconstruct it, to talk about all the things about it that don't work, that are wrong, that hurt us, to hide our faith from the people around us so that we're not ostracized for it. See, we just we tend to go with the crowd. And when we go with the crowd, and on all week long, we're with the crowd. We're hiding our faith. We're hiding who we serve. We're hiding what we do on Sunday mornings. We just want our friends to think we like to sleep in on Sunday. We're not available till noon. We're bringing them empty praise on Sunday. Second thing that we do is we praise God and. We praise God and. It's an interesting story about Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. He fasts for 40 days in the desert. And at the end of that time, he's tempted by the devil in three different ways that Bible scholars put into three categories. They call it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's tempted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's the same thing that you and I are tempted by any time we are tempted. It is one of these three things that we are being tempted for. He's being tempted by the devil in these different ways. And in the final temptation, the pride of life, it goes like this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship me, said the devil, and I'll make you important right here, right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to to be resurrected. You don't have to go through any of this other mess. I will make you important right here, And right now, if you will worship me, the pride of life, the need to be important, the need to matter, the need for people to see you, to affirm you, to tell you that you matter, the pride of life. But Jesus responded by quoting from Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And pay close attention to what he said. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. See, the devil didn't tell Jesus that he had to turn his back on God. He didn't say, deny your birthright and worship me. He didn't say, turn your back on God and worship me. He just said, bow down and worship me. At it. You can still worship God. Worship me as well. At it. Many of us bring empty praise before the Lord because we worship the Lord our God and serve him and instead of only. We worship the Lord our God and we serve him and money. We serve God and our job. We serve God and the praise of people, the pride of life. We serve God and our family. Did you know that your family can become an idol if you let it? We serve God in our career, our platform. We serve God and ourselves. We give our wants, our desires, our needs an equal footing with God in our hearts. 
And if we do these things, it is impossible to bring God the kind of praise that he desires, the kind of praise that he is looking for, the kind of praise that is full and complete and whole and never shifts and never changes, rather than the kind of praise that is empty. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Worship God and serve him only. Sometimes we don't praise him only simply because we don't know how. We don't know how. We bring God empty praise because we don't know how to do it differently. We bring God empty praise because it's all we've been taught. It's all we've been shown. It's all we've ever been given. It's all we've seen. It's all we know how to do. We're not trying to give God empty praise. We know that we should praise God. We've seen the miracles he's done in our hearts and in our lives. We've seen it. We believe it. We just don't know how to do it right. We don't know how to give God our whole lives. So we stand in the streets of Jerusalem and we wave our palm branches and we bring him empty praise. You know, in the moment of that Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew their praise was empty. He already, he knew it. And I know that he knew it because the very next verse following the triumphant entry in verse 12 is when Jesus goes to the temple. Maybe you know this. Maybe you know this story. Maybe you've been mad before and you said, Jesus got mad. He made a whip. He got so mad one time. Let me read you the story if you don't know it. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. It says in another gospel that he made a whip and he started whipping the people out. of. He's like, get out of here now, go. He started cracking that sucker to get people out. He walked into the temple courts right after arriving in Jerusalem. It was the first place that he wanted to go. The Jewish world at the time, the temple was the most holy place in the whole universe. It was built to house the literal presence of God. The literal presence of God was within that space. There was a box made out of gold that God taught Moses how to build called the Ark of the Covenant. And within it was the tablets that contained the Ten Commandments. And there was a space on that altar that was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, the presence of God would rest. His literal presence. He was there. And so they would have all these festivals and and things in Jerusalem so that the people could come and get close to the presence of God. That's what they would do. But there were different levels to the temple where people were allowed to go. You, you, only the priests could go into the place. Only the high priest could go into the place where God's mercy was, where his presence was. And then the, there was another space outside of that where different priests could go and, and they, they could make sacrifices and pray and all this kind of good stuff. And then there was another space outside of that and another space outside of that, which was the temple courts. And the temple courts was like the courtyard, the very first spot past the gate. It was where you would go with your family and you would bring your family there to worship God and, and to prepare a sacrifice for your sins in that past year or in the time since you were there last and to do all these things to honor and worship him. And during these festivals, just like people have always been the same, a big crowd came to town and it was seen as a great opportunity to make money. People have always found a way to leverage God's word to make a profit. 
They've always done it. And it has always been just as evil. They set up these booths around that would sell lambs for a sacrifice. Or they would do money changing. People would need to come and make their sacrifice in money, but they would come with different currencies. And they would have super high interest rates. Way higher than they would have in other places or what was acceptable. Because they were there to turn a profit. Because, hey, what a great time to get rich. It's festival season, baby. Let's go. But this was a space that was always just meant for worship. You pray for the souls of the people that take spaces that were meant for worship and turn them into places of profits. As Jesus walked into that and he saw it and his heart broke, he drove everybody out of there, get out of here. He cleared the temple as quickly as he could. And I wonder how many of us need our temple cleared. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, it says that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies and the temple split in half. From top to bottom, it split in half. Because the presence of God was no longer contained. It no longer lived on the mercy seat. It was no longer attached to a golden box. It was no longer only in that temple. From that moment on, the presence of God had a new Holy of Holies, and it is your heart. Your heart is the space where God's presence dwells. It is the temple. It is the holiest place there is. In fact, the Hebrew word for heart in this context is the seat of your appetites. And in the seat of your appetites, that is where God's presence wants to dwell. But so many of us, we fill it up with so many other things. We're like the money changers outside the temple. We we put greed there. We put our needs for affirmation from people there. We, we put all these other things in these spaces of our heart. Maybe sin got in there. All these, maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's, maybe it's lies and deceit and a second life that you've been hiding for many, many years. Maybe it's ways that you've hurt people that you just don't want to come to terms with. Maybe it's different things that you've done that you're not proud of. And they're all in your heart, in the courts of the very temple of God, in the space that was reserved for his presence and his presence alone. But Jesus can clear it out. He's really good at clearing out temple courts. He'll come make a whip and clear that space if you ask him to do it. Because he doesn't want your empty praise. He wants the praise that comes from the seed of your appetites. He wants the kind of praise that can only come when the temple courts are cleared. And if you ask him to clear out the courts of your heart, he will do it. Do you know what he did right after he cleared out the temple courts? We focus on him being mad in that moment. It was a righteous anger. But he immediately, immediately turned to ministry. Verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read that from the lips of the children and the infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? An interesting thing happens. Jesus marches into Jerusalem with all this fanfare, and it's just empty praise. He goes to the temple courts, and he finds out why. Because there are things in between people experiencing the presence of God. Earthly things, worldly things, all this mess. He clears it out. 
and he immediately begins to heal. He will clear out the spaces in your heart that you have filled with all the wrong things. He will remove it and excise it and clear it out. And then he will immediately go to work healing you because that is who he is. And then once you've been healed, you can say the exact same words, Hosanna to the son of David. But he will count them as genuine, true, real praise. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's about the transformation of a space from being muddied and empty of real heart praise to being healed to finding a genuine place of praise. Let me give you a couple things before we close today about this story. Very quickly, three things about bringing Jesus your genuine praise. Number one, you've got to choose Jesus over acceptance. The time for going with the crowd is behind us. America, world, people, it's done. You need to stop looking at what the crowd is doing and you need to start looking at what the Holy Spirit is doing. You need to stop following what trends the crowd is taking you on and start pursuing the way of Jesus. Go on His path and His path only because His path will lead you to the fulfillment and the joy and the acceptance that you've always longed for. But the path of following the crowd and the people around you is going to take you to the exact same space that it has taken people since the beginning of time. Emptiness and wilderness and desire and longing for more that can never be satiated or met. Stop concerning yourself with the praise of others. It doesn't matter. If you want to strive for somebody's acceptance, strive for, strive for the acceptance of the one who created you, who has a plan for you and a dream for your life, who loves you more than anyone in that crowd ever could. When Jesus was baptized, God said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Did you know that God said that about Jesus before Jesus had done anything impressive? He was just a carpenter. He had not preached a single message. He had not healed a single person. He had not done a single miracle. He had not begun yet the work of ministry. God offered him affirmation and acceptance exactly as he was and as he was created. And he has passed that on to you. That affirmation that is based not on what you have done, but on who you are, on who you were created to be, the affirmation of God, that God is proud of you before you do any accomplishments for him, before you begin your work, before you do, I don't know about you, but it's pretty common in our culture and in our world to not receive affirmation until you've done the work. Maybe you grew up with parents like that. You know, you had to get the grades to, be, to hear those words that every child longs to hear. I am so proud of you. You had to perform well at the sporting event in order to hear your dad say, son, I'm so proud of you. But it isn't like that with God. He wants to give you that affirmation today, right now, before you've done anything. He doesn't need you to perform for him to be proud of you. The same affirmation he gave to Jesus is passed on to you. And I know that because the scripture tells me so. 
It says in Galatians 3.26, we're all sons and daughters of God in faith through Christ Jesus. And the affirmations that were given to him are passed on to us. We are grafted into sonship with him. We are his children and all the blessings that were placed on Christ are passed on to his people and his followers. He is pleased with you. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Stop striving for the acceptance of people who give it to you based on merit or what you do or don't do, who take it away from you just as quickly as they give it to you. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Those people are not your father. Your father is proud of you exactly where you are. Choose Jesus over acceptance and you will stop giving him empty praise. Second, praise him only. Only, only God, only God. It's time to lay down the things that you add to your heart, the other things that you worship alongside God. Maybe it's a political party or a, a political leader. Or maybe, uh, do you want to know how to know, how to tell if you worship your politics as much as you worship God? Just take inventory of your words. Whose gospel do your words spread more? The gospel of your politics or the gospel of Jesus? Maybe it's time to lay down your worship of good things, like your family is a good thing. I don't mean to confuse you. You've got to love your wife and your kids and prioritize them above everybody else on this planet, just not above God. Jesus was pretty clear about that in Luke 14, 26. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus uses extreme language here to drive home a very important point. Nothing can be more important to you than God if you want to give him praise that isn't empty. Jesus loved and cared for and provided for his own mother, Mary. He didn't mean to literally hate them. That's taking it out of context. Another translation called the ERV translates it this way, which is easier to understand. It says, if you come to me but you will not leave your family, you can't be my follower. Because you must love me more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even more than your own life. And that is the heart of the message. Jesus is first. God comes first no matter what. The temple, your heart, it's got to have him at the center of it. Bring your wife and your family into the courts to worship him as well. Make them a big priority in your life, but don't prioritize them above God, above what he's calling you to do, above all the things that he wants for you, that he's dreaming for you, above intimacy with him. Prioritize God first and praise him only. Three ways to get this right, because this is hard to get right. It's a delicate line to balance. How do I worship God only three starting points, practical things you can do. First, worship him first, literally first. The principle of priority is something that we use to interpret and understand Scripture. Always throughout Scripture, the most important thing is listed first. Because our priority of action, it shows our priority of heart. What you prioritize first with what you do shows what you prioritize first inside your heart. And so make sure that the very first thing that you do with your day, with your time, with your month, with your year, with your week, reflects a priority of worship. 
Don't listen to the radio first thing in the morning. Don't check Instagram. How many of you grab your phone off the charger and go straight to Instagram in the morning? Facebook or a news story. I would be very, very careful about the very first thing that your heart consumes when you wake up in the day. I'm very intentional to try my best. I don't always do it, but I do everything that I can to make sure the very first thing I consume is scripture and worship. The first thing that touches my ears in the morning is worship. I want my heart in the right place, a priority of worship in my life. And so whether it's uh, music while you take a shower and you're praising him, I do it in my closet. I go into my closet and pick out my clothes for the day while I worship. And I look at, I start my scripture. I read scripture throughout the day. It's a part of my job. But I start it first thing in the morning. It's one of the first things that I want to consume every day. I want it to be God. I want him to be the first. Why Sunday morning church matters. It's the first part of your week. The first thing that you do is to set Separate this out for God. It's why we believe in uh, fasting and prayer at the very beginning of the year. 21 days of fast in January. The first part of our year belongs to God. The principle of priority. We give him the first of everything. We also give him the first of our money. A second, this is just real practical wisdom. If you want to make God first in your life and worship him only, start with your money. Start with your money. Deuteronomy says this about giving, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you to put God first always in your life. We don't want to trust the church with our money. We want to trust God with our money. It's ours. It gives us security and independence. But that is not how it should be. Because where your money goes, your heart follows. God should be your security. God requires your dependence on him. He wants you to surrender every single area of your life beginning with your finances. When I do my budget, I always give to him first because I don't want my heart to follow first and do my mortgage or my car payment or, you know, pizza money. I want very first for my heart to go to God. Start with your money. And then finally, take a hard inventory. Take a hard inventory. Just see what else is in there. Here's how. Pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. What is in your heart? Review your words. Matthew 12, 34 says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's a trend in humanity when somebody does something bad when they're drunk, we blame the alcohol. But whatever comes out of your mouth drunk was already in your heart. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What words are you saying the most? What's coming through your lips? Whose gospel are you preaching the most? What's the most important thing in your life if you ask your best friend, if you ask your spouse, if you ask your coworkers? What's the most important thing to you? They'll have an answer, and it'll be based on what comes through your lips the most. You want to take a heart inventory? Take a word inventory. What needs to be cleared out of there? What does Jesus need to come? Where are the money tables in your heart that he needs to flip over and remove so that he can begin to heal, so that you can be changed, so that your praise can be complete and full, not empty and void? Take a hard inventory. The last thing that we can do today to bring him our full praise is just take a step forward. Just one step 
sometimes, you know, I don't know if you're like this, but when I get excited about something, I try to like take all the steps at once. I just, I try to do it all at once and I get super excited. I'm just all the way in. I'm going to do it all. I get, if I'm get, like taking on a house project, I'll go to Lowe's and buy everything I need for, it's like a 10 month project. I'm buying all the wood on the first day and it'll all rot in my yard until it's time to go. I just get so excited. I want to, but you know what you need to do is just take one step at a time. One. It's not so overwhelming that way. You know, the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? This was before it was illegal. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Let's take a step. There's so many easy next steps that you could take today. You don't have to wait for Easter next week to take a next step. You could take it right now. Maybe it's time for you to go all in. Well, what if you went all the way in, actually surrendered your whole heart to God? What if you just decided to do everything he asked you to do, to do it all, to commit to it, to fully give yourself over to being one of his children, to jump into church with both feet, to take the first step, you know, go to step one. That's why we call it step one. It's a great first step. To join a life group and actually talk to the people there instead of sitting in the corner hoping nobody sees you. Take a first step. Get on the dream team. Become a part of God's church. Don't just watch it. Be a part of it. Take your next step. Get baptized. What an easy next step. Just go swimming for a minute. Take a next step. Start giving. Just a little bit. Work your way up. We always talk about giving in the term of a ladder. You don't need to start on the top rung. That's terrifying. Start at the bottom. Go from nothing to something. Or go from something to something regular. Or go from something regular to a percentage. And then work that percentage up. Start giving. Take a next step. Take a next step today. And move yourself from being one of those people that was waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna to God in the highest, preparing their mouth to say, crucify him just a couple days later. Move from being that person to being one of those children in the temple courts. Saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the Messiah. Hosanna to the Holy One of God. We give him our adoration and our praise. And Jesus said, it is from their lips that real praise comes. You can make that decision today. If you're in here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, it's the simplest thing you can do. Now, following him is not easy. We talk about that a lot in here. But deciding to follow him is you don't have to do anything. You just have to accept the gift that's already been given. He died on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. We're going to celebrate that next weekend. It's done. That's literally all the work that had to be done for you to enter into a relationship with him, to be accepted into his kingdom for all eternity. That's it. The hard work comes on the next day when you start to strip away all the other things that have filled your heart. When you go to find freedom, when you learn how to praise him, that's what the church is for. That's what we exist for. It's why the church is so important. Because we are here to go down that path alongside of you, with you, next to you, linked arms with you. You should never have to go through the harder parts of Christianity alone. You have a family for that. 
here to celebrate your best days, to mourn with you on your worst days, and to do the work with you in between. And so if you're in here today and you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. It's just a prayer. It's a commitment. It's a vow. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for worshiping so many other things than you. I believe in you. I believe that you came for me. That you were crucified for me. That you were resurrected for me. And I am choosing you today. With everything that I am. All of me from this day forward. I am yours. In Jesus name. Amen.